All right, so that's our passage from John today. And uh, as I was considering what's been going on in terms of uh, the revival, the video that I played at the beginning, uh, the little mini movie that was created regarding the Asbury revival. Uh, in addition, uh, you may be aware there's a movie that came out this weekend called The Jesus Revolution. And it is uh, sort of a documentary style movie uh, about the, uh, the Jesus movement of the early 70s. Uh, an explosive movement among young people that began uh, with the hippies in California. And uh, there was a little church there called Calvary Chapel, and it was pastored by a man named Chuck Smith. And it probably had about this many people in it uh, at the time. And uh, they were largely, as many churches are, older people. Uh, Our church is not like that, but uh, many churches are comprised of older people. And uh, they just, you know, really weren't growing. And so Pastor Chuck was uh, convicted that he needed to be more accepting of these hippies. And a young man came along named Lonnie Frisbee. And he had been radically transformed uh, by God. He'd uh, been a drug addict. He'd been out there. That was the big thing in the hippie movement. It was, you know, free, free love, free sex, uh, experimental drugs. Timothy Leary was the prophet of that era, and uh, he was preaching uh, that LSD would set you free. And so there were a lot of young people who were dropping acid. Um, in fact, one of the key figures, uh, indeed, he ends up being the key figure in the movie, Greg Laurie, who has been the pastor of Harvest Church in California for many years. Um, he was saved under Lonnie Frisbee at Calvary Chapel. And uh, he talks about having dropped acid and uh, how he went on a bad trip. Um, There were lots of instances and incidents of young people going on bad trips and sometimes taking their lives, uh, sometimes running out into traffic. Uh, There was uh, the child of a very, very famous TV personality at the time who went on a bad trip and jumped out the... uh, the fourth or fifth story window of the place where he lived and, uh, and killed himself. He didn't know that's what he was doing. Um, nonetheless, uh, there were lots of folks that were experimenting with drugs at this point in time. And so Lonnie Frisbee got radically saved and uh, he got connected with Chuck Smith and Chuck Smith saw that, you know what, he needed to open the door to these hippies and they just kept flowing through the door and flowing through the door, and it was an explosive movement. They were baptizing hundreds, sometimes upwards of a 1,000 people in this uh, little area called Pirate's Cove, and uh, they baptizing them right there, out there in the Pacific Ocean, uh, people coming to know Jesus right and left. Um, <clears throat> man, several years before this took place, um, Time Magazine had a cover that was just a black cover. In fact, it was the first time Time ever published a cover of one of its magazines that had no picture. It was a black cover, and in blood-red letters, it said, Is God Dead? So there was a lot of discussion about this, and really this is more the idea that that Friedrich Nietzsche came up with almost 100 years before that, when he said, God is dead, and he was talking about how the God that was believed in by the church had essentially died in European culture by that point in time. And uh, in fact, I read a passage 
that, uh, that Nietzsche wrote from Thus Spoke Zarathustra about that very thing not too long ago. But um, this huge revival, we could, call, we, we could call it, awakening really, uh, was taking place in California and began spreading all over the country. And uh, so Time sent a reporter out. And uh, the movie really chronicles this reporter going around and talking to different people. And uh, that year, I believe it was 1970, might have been 71, the cover of Time magazine had a a, uh, a picture of Jesus, kind of a, uh, a sort of an artistic rendering of Jesus. And it was the, the, the magazine uh, was titled Jesus Revolution. And so that's the name of this movie. Now I bring this up, not just to promote a movie. I can encourage you to go and watch the movie. I thought that it was very well done. Uh, honestly, even as a Christian, it doesn't sound terribly interesting to me to go to the movie theater and watch a documentary, but it's, uh, it's really well made. Um, the acting is, is excellent, and it's very honest. It shows how imperfect all of these people were that God used in the midst of this revolution, this revival. And I believe that there's very probably a similar revolution or revival that is going on now. And as then, uh, that revolution, that revival began with young people. This revival is beginning with young people. Um, God often does this. He often takes the hearts of young people um, who have yet to make permanent decisions about their lives. They're still searching. They're still thinking through things. Am I going to get married? Am I going to go to college? Am I going to get a career here? What am I going to do with my life? Um, one of the things that was interesting, I thought, in the in the film, and it's probably legitimate because Greg Laurie is the one that was behind it. And as I said earlier, he is the one that got saved under Lonnie Frisbee. Um, Lonnie Frisbee is sitting at at the kitchen table across from Chuck Smith before Chuck Smith has really become convinced that he needs to open his heart to these hippies. And uh, <laughs> hey, you had to live during this time period to know that this is really the way these people talked. And, uh, you know, Lonnie Frisbee is played by the same fellow that plays Jesus in the, um, uh, the Chosen series, right? And this uh, Jonathan Rumi is his name, and he does a spot-on job. And uh, so Pastor Chuck is played by, uh, oh, what's the name of the actor? Uh, Kelsey, Grammer. Kelsey Grammer, thank you, who is fantastic in this role and was very emotionally moved, by the way, by playing Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith passed away in 2013. He had been the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. Calvary Chapel had many churches that, that sprung forth from it as the result of this revival after that. Uh, very, very... Uh, um, grounded Bible teacher Chuck Smith was. He really was. If you listen to any of his old stuff, I mean, just really easy to listen to, very point by point uh, and on point. And he's sitting there and uh, he's talking to Lonnie Frisbee and he's, he says something about your people. And Lonnie goes, yeah, I like that, my people. And Chuck Smith goes, well, what are your people looking for? He said, my people? He said, they're searching, man. They're searching for God. See, I'm wondering if young people don't really realize this, but that's what they're really searching for today. And here are these young people at Asbury University. And those of us that are older can catch the wave of this revival because it's not about, as the, you heard these young people say in that little documentary, it's not about Asbury. It's not even about college students, right? Right? 
revival can spring up anywhere. Interestingly, here we are in John, and we have seen John the Baptist prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. See, I think that's what needs to happen. People's hearts need to be prepared. I think God wants to bring you to life. That's what revival means. He wants to raise you up. He wants to bring you to life. But your heart has to be prepared. You have to want this. You have to seek this. You have to desire this. You have to expect that something is going to happen. Well, I keep praying for this. I want great things to happen for you. I want great things to happen here. Now, I was about to say this morning that I had a vision of something, but I didn't want you to think that, you know, I was, you know, trying to say I'm some sort of a prophet or something, and this is exactly what's going to happen. So I'm just going to call it a dream, and maybe it's in my own heart, but I think it's something that could happen. So here's Asbury University, right? Uh, college students, right? They've got, they're, they're in class. It was interesting that the young man, what a great kid, man. He's like, we just ran around to classes and opened the door and said, revival is happening. That is so cool. Can you imagine being a professor and you're up there lecturing and a kid just breaks through the door and says, revival is happening. And you're like, uh, oh, just go, just go, go ahead, that's fine. That's exactly what happened. Like, you know, one of the kids, they, I, don't, I can't remember what was that, that uh, little movie because I didn't watch it just now, I watched it earlier. But they had a, a picture of what the auditorium looked like, that, that chapel looked like, um, right after the chapel service ended because there was a speaker like there normally is and then the chapel service ended, ended and there were just a few kids that stayed after, literally. This wasn't just this overwhelming, oh, and they just fell on the ground. And No, it was just a few kids that stayed after and then the floodgates opened and it just rolled and rolled and rolled until, as I said last week, there there was a line like a quarter of a mile down the street, people waiting to get in. People were waiting like nine hours to get in. They had screens outside. They had to stop people from coming into this little Kentucky town. They said revival over full. I mean, they couldn't handle it. 50,000 people came into this town from all over the world. There was no promotion. Nobody sent out flyers. There was no evangelist. There was no celebrity worship leader, celebrity pastor. There were no fancy anything. I mean, they had, the fluorescent lights were on, okay? It was, you know, college students that were leading. But the Holy Spirit was poured out, and those people were receptive. Prepare your heart. Prepare the way. So in our text today, um, I taught verse by verse through this on uh, Wednesday. So we finished John chapter one, verse by verse Wednesday. But I wanted to talk about Nathaniel today. And I'm wondering whether God is raising up a Nathaniel generation. What do I mean by that? As soon as Jesus lays eyes on Nathaniel. Now, it says that Jesus went to Galilee and he searched for Philip. Let me just stop and say this. If you're looking for God, he will find you. Amen? The question is what or who are you looking for? John the Baptist was setting the expectations for everybody. And again, I've said this, uh, John the Baptist was out in the wilderness. Like literally, you had to go find him. Where's John? Do you know where John is? I don't know where John is. He's probably by the, the river he's baptizing. No, he's over there. I can hear him yelling right? And so they all went over and they were just hanging out around John, literally in the wilderness. They're like camping out, listening to him talk, being baptized as they chose to repent of their sins. 
And I think that there's a very real possibility that every one of these first disciples that were called, um, first Andrew, and then Andrew uh, brings his brother Simon, and then we have uh, Philip, and then we have Nathaniel, that all of them had their hopes set up and their expectations raised by the preaching of John the Baptist. In fact, I think there's a very real possibility that maybe even all of them were called around that area where John, the, John was baptizing, and then Jesus went to Galilee. But nonetheless, I say that because I think we need to understand, if you're looking for God, he's gonna find you. God is more interested in bringing you into the kingdom than you are. God's more interested in saving you than you are interested in getting saved. God loves you, amen? He really loves you more than you can imagine he loves you. And he wants to pour his spirit out on you. And by the way, that's the greatest gift. We need money to pay the bills, right? It's nice if you can drive a car that's not broke down, right? Uh, It's nice if you can live in your own house and all those sorts of things. That's wonderful. It's great that we can have three meals a day. Um, But what we really need is the spirit of God. Because when we have God, we've got everything else. We have everything we need. He provides everything we need. So Nathaniel steps up to Jesus and Jesus says... There he is, a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false or, you know, in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel was a what-you-see-is-what-you-get kind of guy, right? A wussy-wig guy. What you see is what you get. He was the same on the inside as he was on the outside. And so, you know, he says, uh, well, how do you know me? <laughs> He's just straightforward. Okay, fellow. How do you know me? I saw you while you were under the fig tree. Now, you saw in the film clip from the Gospel of John movie that there was an imagined moment between Nathaniel and and God. It is very likely, I think it's a pretty good guess, that Nathaniel was doing some praying and some seeking under the fig tree and that the very presence of Jesus and Jesus' knowledge of that search penetrated Nathanael's heart to the degree that he said, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. That's a big statement, right? But see, I think Nathanael was looking for Messiah. Again, what are you looking for? Nathanael was just available. He was open. He was the same inside and out. He wasn't pretending like the Pharisees. And Jesus would ask, uh, in fact, Jesus asked the Pharisees a question about John the Baptist. They asked him, where do you get the authority to do the things you're doing? That is, the Pharisees asked Jesus, where do you get the authority to do all these things you're doing? And Jesus said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you answer my question, I'll answer your question. Here's my question. The baptism of John, was it from God or was it from men? Well, see, if you were honest, if you were a Nathaniel, you would just say what you thought. Oh, we don't think it was from God. No, definitely not. Okay. Or, yeah, no, we think it was from God. No, they didn't do that. They contemplated what the results would be. What, what would the outcome be? Not, here's an honest answer. This is what we actually think. They said, well, no, if we say that it's not from God, then the people will rise up and try to stone us because they believe John was a prophet. But if, they, if we say he is from God, he was from God, then Jesus will say, well, why didn't you obey him then? And so they said, we don't know. They're liars, They knew exactly what they thought and what they felt. Now, I think you need to be, and I need to be, the same inside and out. I think that's the way Nathaniel was. 
we need to be the same person inside and out. Now, that doesn't mean you need to reveal the whole counsel of your heart to everyone, right? You may have a harsh thought towards someone. That doesn't mean you just let it spill out of your mouth. I'm not saying, you know, walk around and be unfiltered. You probably won't have many friends if you're like that, right? (laughs) I mean, have you ever hung out with a toddler? They'll just say whatever's on their mind. You know, I I can remember this. Um, I used to substitute teach. And uh, I almost always substituted for high school people. On occasion, I would substitute for middle schoolers. I liked them, but the middle school day is so long. It's eight periods long, and they want you to teach every single one. And they're exhausting. They're just so tiring, right? They're wonderful, but they're tiring. But you block scheduling over here in Garland ISD. You know, sometimes you, you, know, you get your, your prep period off. Sometimes you might even get half the day off and get paid for the whole day. But a few times, not many, a few times, I substitute taught for elementary kids. Whew. Rachel, man. Now, hers are even younger than that. So I'm in this, I, I'm in this classroom of first graders, right? They're so little. Like, you know, I'm so used to teaching high school kids, and they're so little. So, you know, I, I can vaguely remember being in first grade, and I remember, you know, the teacher always could, like, look at the class and write on the board in perfect block letters. So, I don't remember what it was that I needed to write on the board, but, you know, I did one of these just to make sure, you know. But I'm trying to be all careful about this. And I thought, man, that looks good. And I have pretty good handwriting. I mean, it's not terrible. (laughs) And this little kid, he goes, your writing is ugly. (laughs) What did I do to you, kid? (laughs) I mean, he was just comparing my writing to his teacher. And his teacher is the classic first grade teacher that can make perfect block letters without even looking at the board, right? That's unfiltered. Well, you can accept that from, you know, a first grader. You can even accept it to some degree. Teenagers can be like that as well, right? But once you get to adulthood, if you just let everything spill out of your mouth, again, you're just going to end up in trouble all over the place. So I'm not advocating just saying whatever comes to mind. Sometimes you need to double check what your your thoughts and your feelings are before you say it, because just because you feel it doesn't mean it's right. Uh Uh-oh. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's, it's right. And it's okay. We got to go through that. But I am advocating that you be the same through and through. That's what Nathaniel was. He was a true seeker. That's a, there, there, there's a, a phrase from an earlier age, a true seeker. That's what Lonnie Frisbee was, a true seeker. And if you're really seeking truth, and by the way, that's what Jesus said he came to do. When Jesus talked to Pilate, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? He said, well, you say so. But he said, this is what I came to do. I came to testify to the truth. Now, would you be interested if you encountered this person that had upset the entire nation of Israel with what he was saying? And he said, I came to testify to the truth. Everybody that listens to the truth will listen to me. What would you say? Yeah. Pilate said, quides veritas. Quides veritas. What is truth? That's our era right there. See, it's like, well, I believe in science, unless, of course, science disagrees with how I feel. And then I'm going to adjust science, right? 
But when it concerns anything that we would construe as religious, right? Uh, or moral or philosophical, then we have been taught that truth is just how you decide it is, right? Truth is relative. Um, truth is what you can get a group of people to agree to, right? So you, you throw a narrative out there. You throw a story out there. And if you can get enough people to believe your story, then it becomes true. That is incorrect. True means it comports with reality. It aligns with reality. And there is a reality regardless of whether you believe it or not, or whether I believe it or not, all right? As a, a famous, at least in the 90s, famous TV show uh, used to say, the truth is out there. Craig and I used to watch that show. You remember that show? What was the name of that show? <laughs> X-Files, thank you. I can't even remember. I just remember the phrase, and that Craig and I used to watch it, and when you get old like me, you're like, these things are flying out of my mind. Yes, the X-Files. The truth is out there. Well, the truth is out there. But what are you looking for? Are you looking to have your feelings and your opinions validated? You see, that's why a lot of people come to church. I'm not saying that's you, okay? But a lot of people come to church because they believe certain things and they want to hear those things validated, okay? This is why certain people go and do other things that they do. Uh, or, or this is why we have the social media crowd that we have, whatever your version of social media is. If people are saying things that you disagree with, you probably got rid of them, right? You probably unfriended them. Maybe you didn't. Maybe it's just me, right? <laughs> Listen, I, I don't mind if people disagree with me. You just can't be disrespectful about it. Why be rude? There's just no point. But the thing is, when you text or email or post or whatever, there, there's just no face-to-face -face contact, and so there's no threat of violence or something like that. And so you just think you can say and do whatever you want to do. You don't get to do that. You can disagree respectfully. We can agree to disagree. In fact, I think as Christians, those of us in this room that will call ourselves Christians, that's the way we're going to reach the world is by being agreeable to them as persons and agreeably disagreeable to certain opinions that they may hold. I was sitting next to a young man over at uh, Intrinsic and uh, it was obvious, I, I don't hear that well anyway, but it was obvious by what these two guys were saying that they were on staff or a part of a church somewhere. One of them definitely was on staff. And I thought, you know, there's another guy that I've met in here at Intrinsic that said that I think this guy right here is uh, over at First United Methodist, okay? Now, we've been involved with uh, several Methodist churches in the area for about seven years uh, doing running for clean water. Lately, really all we do is buy the metals, but I mean, we used to go out and run and all these different things. And I don't know if you're aware of what's going on in the United Methodist Church right now, but there's, there's a huge divide among Methodists right now over the LGBT issue. And this is happening with Presbyterians and this is happening um, uh, with uh, the Anglican Church and so forth. So um, I was aware of this revival that's going on at Asbury University. Well, Asbury is a Methodist school. Now, it's free Methodist, but it's a Methodist school. But they have plenty of United Methodist professors and so forth there. So I asked this fella if he was aware of that. And he said, yes, he was. And I don't know how the, the, 
the topic. Oh, I think I just mentioned the the division. Oh no, no, I know, I know what it was. Um, they have changed pastors over there. Now it's not like our church where they independently you know call their pastor. They have bishops that are over areas and they move pastors all the time. And so there had been a woman that was pastor over there. And uh, I asked who is pastor there now, and now it's not. It's another person. It's a man this time. And I asked him if there was anything going on over there regarding this particular issue because it was blowing up. And uh, and he said, yeah, there, there's, you know, they're dealing with those sorts of things. And then I, I think what he said was, but I, I don't see a problem with homosexuality. Well, I didn't get into a big argument with him. We can sit there and talk and talk about the Asbury Revival and talk about United Methodists and talk about the divide that's going on and not get divisive and hateful. I can come down on one side of an issue and someone else can come down on the other side of an issue. I don't have to to put up a front and be fake and not say what I feel at all, but I also don't have to be hateful and divisive and disagreeable. I can recognize that people can hold different opinions than mine and we can still talk to one another. Amen? And so we did, you know, I didn't, you know, push him away and say, well, you know, this is what I think. I think y'all Methodists are just messed up in the head. (laughs) Or at least y'all United Methodists now, those free Methodists over there at Asbury, I'm in line with them. No, I didn't say any of that, right? If you know somebody, you have a relationship with somebody, they know your heart, then you can have a better conversation with them. But we've come to this place in our country where we just think that if people don't hold the same opinions as us, we can just be disrespectful to them, right? That they're just, you know, they're of the devil or something. Listen, man, I, there's lots of people that I don't agree with that I can have a relationship with, right? So this is all in the spirit of, of having, you know, this Nathaniel attitude, I suppose you could say. Be who you are, be honest about who you are, but be open be a seeker. Be a seeker after truth. Realize that you may not have all the answers. In fact, I can guarantee you, you don't have all the answers. The product of a good education is recognizing that you really don't know what you thought you knew. And you talk to, you know, somebody that's, you know, I don't know, sometimes somebody that's been through a standard college education these days, which has really become more about indoctrination than education, The idea of liberal arts has gone out the window. Liberal is not a bad word, by the way. It means you're open to other people and ideas and you allow other people to think and feel what they want to think and feel. But that's not what we have today. What we have is totalitarian leftists who are forcing people to believe and say and do and think what they think and alt-right people that are doing the same thing. And it's just the same temperament with two different sets of ideologies. But the reality is I can walk the middle path and I can still hold a set of values and share that set of values and then allow uh, other people to speak into me and I speak into them. That can happen, right? But I'm wondering if the Lord is not raising up a Nathaniel generation, a group of seekers, those that are honest. Be like Nathaniel, a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. That means for us, if you claim to be a Christian, then be a true Christian not a Christian in name only, right? Not a nominal Christian. Well, I was raised in a Christian home or, you know, I was baptized in the Catholic church or, you know, the Methodist church or the Baptist church or whatever. No, is that your honest opinion? Is that what you really believe? Underneath all of it, is that what you think? And if you don't, 
then be okay with that and say, the chances are, uh, even in, in a room with not that many people like this, there are people in this room that don't really believe the Christian gospel. But you're here. You can keep coming. You can keep seeking. I hope you will continue to ask and seek and knock. I hope you will be thirsty for the truth or hungry for the truth, whatever metaphor you want to use. And I hope that you will take these things that are being said here, these songs that are being sung here, you'll take those in and you'll examine those things, right? That's what I think it means to be a Nathaniel. What I noticed about this revival um, was the gentle spirit that was there. Now, I have a tendency to be pretty intense, right? But everybody that was talking, nobody was intense. They were all, in fact, if you ever heard Pastor Chuck talk. And this is my purpose today. I was going to be like gentle and sit in this stool. I think this is the first time I've sat in this stool. But Pastor Chuck would just talk like this. Kind of reminds me of Larry Venable, you know. And Larry just talks like this. And Pastor Chuck would just talk. Now he had a really, Pastor Chuck had this resonant voice, okay. But I think this is a generation that needs the gentle, right? So there's a story about Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament, and John the Baptist is considered to be un-Elijah. And uh, Elijah was fed up with his nation. They were messed up, right? They turned away from Yahweh as God. They turned toward idols, and he was so angry, and he was crying out to God. And God told him, Elijah, you're not the only one. I've reserved 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Baal represented these false gods they were, they were worshiping. And before God said that, God wanted to show himself to Elijah. Well, as we've already seen in John, uh, no man has seen God at any time, okay? But God, the only begotten of the Father, he has made him known. Jesus has made God known to us, but no one has seen God at any time. Well, this includes Elijah. So here's what happens when God shows himself to Elijah. He's in this cave on Mount Sinai. He's walked 40 days to get to Mount Sinai, and he's in this cave, and he's crying out to God, right? And uh, there's an earthquake. There's a wind, uh, like this rushing wind, and there's a fire. And in each instance, the scripture says, but God was not in the earthquake. But God was not in the mighty wind. But God was not in the fire. And then it says, and then there was a gentle blowing. And that's when God spoke. That's the voice that I believe the Holy Spirit would speak to us in today. A gentle blowing. I'm not sure that we need any more shaking. Are you tired of being shaken up? I'm tired of it, right? Constant threats of illness and uprising and all of these sorts of things. And God speaks in this gentle blowing. Now, I didn't go to Kentucky. The first week, I was really tempted to just say, you know what? I'm just going to, it's not that far of a drive. I'm just going to drive up there. In fact, I, I told Nicholas this. And Nicholas like, go, just go. <laughs> He was, more, he was more excited about me going than, than I was excited about going. But the beauty of live stream is it's not the same as being in person. But friends, I could sense the Holy Spirit coming through the live stream. 
And it was so gentle. Every time, almost every time I tuned in, there wasn't somebody telling everybody what to think and what to feel and what to do. It was just these kids singing, praying, praying for each other, confessing sin, reading scripture. It was all about them. I'm just wondering. Their hearts are wounded, right? Their hearts are perhaps the wounds have closed and they're scarred. And here's the Holy Spirit coming in with this gentle ministry, right? And he changed their hearts. You heard, you heard the young lady up there in the video. She said, you know, this is a school of only a thousand people. So I'm pretty aware of who likes each other and who doesn't like each other around here. It's like a small town, right? You know who hates each other. And, you know, she confessed that there's plenty of people that I didn't like. And what was the healing? They forgave each other. Boy, that is testament to the movement of the Holy Spirit. So I had a whole lot more things here in my notes, but I've, I've become convinced that one of the things that I need to do is, is bring this together with talking to you and not have my notes stand between me and you. Um, because the only thing I want standing between me and you is a person, and that's the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna transition over. Um, all I can pray is that you are a true Christian. You're authentic. You've confessed Jesus as your Lord, or you're a true seeker in whom there's no deceit. Don't fake it till you make it, friend. Just be honest with God. If you're seeking him, he will find you. Let me pray, and then we're going to enter into an extended time of worship. I've left this area up here more open so that you can feel free to come up here and just stand or kneel, right? There's nobody sitting in this row of chairs. You can just come up here and sit in this row of chairs. I don't know what you want to do, but I pray that you will allow the Lord to minister to you. You'll be open to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we will allow him to do what he wants to do with us because my dream is that this place will become open constantly, not just on Sunday, but constantly, and that people will be seeking the Lord and will be coming in here. That's my prayer. That's my hope. That's my dream. If you would like to give us feedback, uh, you can go to our website, lifewillchurch.com, and you will find uh, on the main page, there's a feedback tab, and you can click that. You can fill out that form. Uh, you can give us feedback. You can ask for prayer requests, all sorts of things like that. I hope that you are able to do this. We have a text service uh, that I use to send out information on our church throughout the week. And uh, basically, all you need to do is text the word LIFEWELL, from your phone to 94000. And if you do that, it'll drop you into that news text list and you'll get a couple of those texts uh, from us every week.